We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. What is bad is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIVLP FM. You are listening to Resistance Radio. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And it's, uh, it's a pleasure and honor, uh, to have on, uh, our guests, uh, for the, for the hour. Folks that we had on last year, uh, exactly the same time as last year. Actually, it was a week before, it was a couple days before the, uh, apocalypse fall. And we're going to be talking again to, um, uh, to the folks from the Louisiana Himalayan Association. And in particular, we're talking to uh, Eva Soul, who is a... You didn't tell, I'm you didn't a play? volunteer. Um, I do Just, I help with a lot of the events. So Got it. Overall general yeah. badass for the uh, organization. <laughs> and then also with us today is Neil Goodry, uh, who is the founder, uh, again, of uh, one of the founders of the Louisiana Himalayan Association. And uh, today we're talking about uh, the Apocalypse Ball uh, that is put on by the crew of the Apocalypse Ball that raises money uh, for the Louisiana Himalaya, uh, uh, Louisiana Himalaya Association. More information can be found at lhainfo.org. Again, that's LHA, which is the uh, initials of the Louisiana Himalayan Association, lhainfo.org. And proceeds uh, for this event will provide clean drinking water to over 10,000 Tibetan refugees in northern India, which is, uh, for me, one of my favorite parts uh, of the world uh, and uh, and someplace that is near and dear to my heart. And, uh, and so um, it's, it's really a pleasure to have both uh, Eva and Anil on board. Uh, before we get started here talking about the Apocalypse, Paul, Neil, can you talk to us a bit about how you founded the organization? Um, definitely, I was not the founder. We had a whole bunch of people involved all throughout this whole event. I just um, went to India in 1997 and met some of the Tibetans that had just come over the mountains. I went originally to learn, uh, and when I heard about the Dalai Lama, to learn about Buddhism and to learn about the Tibetan culture and philosophy. And I got there and I met some of the folks that were just arriving from uh, uh, refugees with a lot of needs. I had finished social work school at Tulane, so I had a little bit of smarts about social work projects. And um, after being there, after arriving, I ended up staying for six months and then have been back for six months every year for the last 22 years. I wow. Guess. So you go back so, six months every every six, every six months. You go back for six months. 22 years, yes, since wow, 1997. that is so cool. Yeah. To northern India, though. Dharamsala. It's You're right, Dharamsala, right. the Dalai Lama lives. Right. Tibetan exile government set up. And, right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and are they, is that area, are they able to govern on their own or are they still dictated by the rules of India, I would imagine, right? Yeah, they're, okay. they're under India, correct? Yeah. Got it. And India has uh, been really generous to the Tibetans since the 50s, offering, right. you know, place to stay in a place. Exile to and stuff like that. Yeah. I wish that, you know, the Modi, uh, Modi government would, ex- would, uh, ex- um, 
would do the same for the Muslim population. I know that recently there's been a lot of controversy uh, of this um, these recent immigration laws. Is that anything, by the way, that you you could I stay comment as on? Far from politics as I possibly can, and just stick to my social work projects. Got it. That keeps me happy and healthy. And uh, that's a, that's then. a smarter way to go. Absolutely, <laughs> one way. We need so, people involved. All so in different ways, I guess. So you just kind of um, I, I I can tell uh, both by your last name and your accent that you're. Mm-hmm. From Louisiana, St. Martinville. Yeah, and then how did you find yourself going to Northern Louisiana? Uh, Northern be, India. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Did I say? I did go to Northern. <laughs> how do you know I went to Northeast and Monroe from two years to get away from the parties in Lafayette? I did do that. I went to Northern Monroe for of two years. Of course. Yeah. How did you find? How did a, a, a Southern Louisiana boy end up in yeah. uh, in Northern India? I'm sure that's not a path taken very regularly. Yeah. I, uh, I guess after doing my social work grad degree, I started working in hospice and started uh, thinking a little differently after working with dying people for a couple years and most beautiful people I ever worked with, and I love the work. Um, Somebody gave me a book, Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, and I had a wow moment um, and felt like this stuff is really talking to me. I want to go, and then I heard about the Dalai Lama and read one of his books, and I was like, I want to go check this out, and went there and canceled my return ticket. Sure. And ended up staying, and and twenty two years later. So and so, what kind of so you were like you said you were there, or at least um, you came back to Louisiana and you had found that there was a, an organization that was called the Louisiana Himalayan Association, or no? Um, so there was no organization when I went in ninety seven. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was probably 99 on my third trip back, about eight very close and dear friends from here um, came on that trip. David Edgar, Susan Dunlop, Shelley Jackson, Tim Terrell, uh, uh, close, close friends anyway. Sure. And they got there and they were like, wow, this stuff you guys are doing here is beautiful. We want to be involved and let's start an organization. And um there came Louisiana Himalaya Association. Yeah, what, can you talk about what those early projects that you were doing in northern India that people came over and they saw that you were working with the Tibetans to do? When we first got there, the Tibetans um, were coming over the mountains, most of them coming from nomadic families, which they were expert at nomadic lifestyles, raising cattle, agriculture, harsh, you know, really living and masters of the mind, uh, totally mentally stable people, amazingly so. Um, But they were coming over with nothing and a lot of really difficult uh, medical needs and um, language needs. They came from Tibet into India. They spoke only Tibetan, no no knowledge about computers. Um, You don't have a language, you can't get a job. So we focused a lot on language and computer in the beginning. And and people were leaving Tibet because? Chinese occupation. Of the, um, so before 1950, Tibet was the, the size, landmass of Tibet was about the size as mainland China now. So, so it was and, huge. Huh? It was huge. It was massive. China doubled in, in, in size right? period yeah. when they took it. And a third of the population of Tibet were monks and nuns. So there was no overpopulation, very small population. And 
the majority of the funds were being channeled into these monastic universities that were focused on psychology, on mindfulness and working with the mind. So right. they became so totally peaceful people, right? Without an army, right? <laughs> Not much of an army. Easy prey. <laughs> Super easy prey. When you're an authoritarian government, so, you're like, oh, let's let's double our landmass. Should we go to war with India? No, look at over there. The Tibetans are full of monks. <laughs> but, I laugh and I shouldn't be laughing, but it's it, it, it was uh, it's it's painful, you know, because you know we see today the the, the president uh, asked for, of course, in his economic budget, asked for uh, millions and millions of dollars more again this year for our military, you know, and our military just grows and grows and grows every year. And I just wish that we'd lived in a, in a place without a military. But then I think back to Tibet that didn't have a military. And, uh, and then the Chinese just basically literally rolled in and, and I'll let you finish the story. Mm, I mean, they, 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 well, they, they got rid of the Dalai Lama, of course. They, they, uh, so the and Dal- you can't the speak about the spiritual was, leader at all. Yeah, so I guess by the um, late 50s, the Dalai Lama's life was in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. So he had to leave the, leave the country. Um, with hundreds of thousands of other refugees, and uh, yeah, and it's unfortunately it's still going on today. It's uh, um, it's horrible. Um, China's being very good about masking the situation, and uh, we're not hearing much about it. But I'm in contact with people that are still there, and one of the things we do is put out a monthly newspaper about what's going on. It's one thing the organization does called Contact Magazine. We have a web. It's on um, newspaper, online newspaper. Go to contact. Uh, I think LHA Social Work dot org, and that leads you to the newspaper. Does LHA uh, Info dot org? Is there? Does that lead you to the paper as well? Mm-hmm. It's easier to get to it. We have uh, our organization is um, kind of, and if I want to go on with it and move a little bit forward. When we initially set this up, we set it up in a way not to go in and um, tell these people how to help their people, but to set up an organization that we could give to them as quickly as possible. So in 2005, um, we were able to break into sister organizations. So the La Charitable Trust, LHASocialWork.org, that's Tibetan-owned, Tibetan-operated, Tibetan-managed, and they manage all the projects there, and they decide which projects are going to be worked on. They have 15 full-time Tibetan staff members and a strong board of directors, and they're highly recognized by their community. Um, we do fundraisers like Eva's running the Apocalypse Ball, which is going to fund their clean water project, which supplies clean water to about 10,000 people a day. Um, and that's one of many of the projects that they, they oversee there. So... Um, I'm going off on a tangent. I no, that's where, okay. Where am I? <laughs> I mean, help me stay on yeah, track. Yeah, no, no, here. that's okay. If you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allendary. It's really an honor and pleasure for me, <clears throat> excuse me, today to have uh, Mr. Neil Goodry, who is one of the founders of the Louisiana Himalayan Association, as well as Eva Soul, who's one of the volunteers, and also uh, they're here to talk a bit about uh, the Apocalypse Ball, which is being presented by the crew of the Apocalypse Ball. Uh, more information about that can be found at lhainfo.org, and the money that's being raised uh, uh, for the Apocalypse Ball is going to the Louisiana Himalayan Association Clean Water Project with proceeds that will 
provide clean drinking water to over 10,000 Tibetan refugees in, in northern uh, India. And that is, uh, it's, and I always say this wrong, it's Dharamsala, right? Dharamsala, yeah. Dharamsala. And, and is that, is it now, has that become kind of like, you know, and I say this with respect, kind of like a, like a mini Tibet? Or I mean, I imagine if you have a place where you have, you know, basically a majority of people who are originally from Tibet that are all living amongst one another mm-hmm. that I would imagine that the culture would, you know, you would start to see kind of what you would look like if you were in Lhasa or, or what have you. The population there is probably about 50-50 Tibetans and the native Indian population, but definitely around the Dalai Lama's temple and the many monasteries and other smaller Tibetan communities around that area, you you can really get a feel like I would suppose would be like being in Tibet. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. So now, so uh, Eva had asked, and I it was a great question. I was setting up task for it as well. But uh, um, uh, you guys started with uh, computer literacy and language literacy as one of the first projects for LHA. Yeah. And then how did that work out? Um, I mean, computers in the early 90s, or in the late 90s. First of all, let me say that last year you guys were at 20 years. You guys were at 20 years last year? Nine, yeah, Louisiana MLA Association. Year um, before last, yeah, mm. two, two years ago. Oh, gee, okay, okay. It's a 20-year anniversary yeah, for the Apocalypse Ball. Ball. 20 years. To Apocalypse Ball. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then, so you guys have now been an organization for 22 years? 22. 22 yeah. years, excellent. Correct. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. then, um, so, you know, computers were just kind of so, take, yeah. taking off. I got off. a funny story about that. Please, <laughs> so, please, I can't wait. Uh, so we started with language. I was living in the monastery at that time, and we could see all of these Tibetans that needed English help. And then all these Western, a lot of hippies, spiritual seekers, and other Westerners, travelers that were hanging out in the coffee shops and wanting help, but not, not coffee shops at that time, chai shops and restaurants. So we started connecting. We put up signs in the Tibetan community and Tibetan language. I had five Tibetan guys that I was working with at the time. And they rallied the Tibetan people, and I went out and rallied the Western people, and we said, if you want to help, come to the monastery on this day. And then uh, we would pair people up, and we called them mutual learning partners. We'd pair them up, and the Westerner would get to learn from the Tibetan about their culture and their plight and their whole situation, and the Tibetan would learn English. And then when the Westerner's time would go, they'd leave, and then that Tibetan would come back and get another person. And uh, that was what we did the first couple years. And then... um, Dean Marks at the School of Social Work sent one of his Ph.D. students um, to check if we could get graduate social work students over. And when she was there, the computer thing was happening. I guess that was in 99. And then um, she was doing some editing work for Hunter Thompson (laughs) and told him about what we were doing. And he's like, take my two laptops and let's get some computer stuff started over there. So that was an interesting (laughs) little... Little historical. There were no bullet holes in there in, in anything. <laughs> Not <or>? yet. <laughs> okay. It was and funny. I didn't know who Hunter Thompson was at that time. Right. Talking about my ignorance. And right. Years later, I found out, and I'm like, "Where are those laptops? Right. They're yeah. worth thousands of dollars." Uh, of course. Can you imagine the Couldn't content that was them. on there? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's yeah, really I mean, funny. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, and so is that what we, I mean? Is that what was needed? I mean, was I mean working? I mean the, the 
kind of last year, I remember, uh, what was the name of the person who was here last year? Oh, Dr. Ron Marks. It was Dr. Marks, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Dr. Marks was here, you know, he was talking about people coming with like, there was a severe need for like significant healthcare issues. I think mm-hmm. they were talking about wound issues or I, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. Like I there were tuberculosis was a big issue. Uh, right. In TB, we had one of our first programs was not just to help the Tibetans, but we had a really large leprosy issue and sure. like that we probably had 30 leprosy people bagging and sleeping on the streets sure and it's, it's really well taken care of now that's India great really got it under control in sure. a be- beautiful way but at that time the folks were coming because the tibetans are very generous to beggars so and very kind and very helpful to them but they came there and with leprosy the one of the ways that the indian government handled it um, to be able to get on a bus or a train or anything, you have to show that you're cured, that you're no longer contagious. You have to have a card, and it's about a six-month antibiotic treatment to do it. So we had all these people that were non-contagious, but once you, the leprosy is kind of at a certain point, you end up with really cracking skin, and if you don't keep it clean, it gets infected. So if you don't have fingers and you got these cracks and you got to live on the street and there's no soap and uh, so they were getting worse so we just put together a program where we one of the tibetans that were working with us he would go out to these folks that have leprosy every morning he's being trained by a woman from belgium that worked with mother Teresa, and uh, he would go out and change the bandages every day and then after i guess about two years he and the belgian woman figured out a program with some funds from belgium <coughs> and they opened a house for these folks to go and sleep and um, clean themselves and use the toilet and and then slowly the Indian government set up in a village nearby a real nice community that they could all go live in. Sure. So there's a, uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's a, um, uh, so here in the U.S. we refer to leprosy as Hansen's disease. Mm. Um, and uh, just because leprosy is, is stigmatized for obvious reasons as a term. And Hansen's disease um, is, le- leprosy or Hansen's disease is closely related to TB. In fact, the the organism, Mycobacterium tuberculum, that causes TB. Um, it's uh, in in leprosy. It's called Mycobacterium leprosy, <laughs> and so these are very, 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 very difficult organisms to treat, as yeah. as you are well aware. Uh, they take a very, very long time. There are lots of pills, and the pills aren't very good because these are diseases, you know, uh, tropical diseases of neglect. In other words, pharmaceutical companies have not chosen to. To you, you know, utilize resources to treat these illnesses. But here, um, the epicenter of of Hansen's disease in the United States is um, somewhere halfway between uh, New Orleans and and uh, and Baton Rouge. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I, and there is a you. yeah, and there is a uh, there is a community for people suffering from Hansen's disease from around the country, and they all come here to between New Orleans and, and, and Baton Rouge. And there's a community, you know, people in the past may have used the word colony, but I prefer to use uh, mm-hmm. the word uh, community where people living with Hansen's disease uh, live and they get, they get treatment. The, um, the treatment for Hansen's is takes several years, uh, at least here in the U S it, uh, it's a treatment that takes several years. Yeah. Um, and just because the organism is so indolent, in other words, it moves very, very slowly. So it just takes a long time with a lot of antibiotic coverage. So, uh, it's you know it, it's not a coincidence that when you say TB and, and and leprosy within the same breath, it's because those organisms travel together and they follow areas of poverty. 
infectious diseases or disease of the poor. And mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, so anyway, so that, that's a, that's an amazing, and, and you're right, the, the cracked hands and, and, um, and the lack of digits, that, that's mm-hmm. typically where, where that would start uh, for people with leprosy or, uh, Hansen's disease. And so, yeah, the cracked skin and, and of course those deep gouges, uh, or creases in the skin, which like you say, get infected with mm-hmm. super infected with bacteria. And so keeping that area hygienic and clean, but if you already have no digits to begin with, mm-hmm. right? It's very hard okay. to utilize your hands. And just to be clear, this um, I don't know any Tibetans ever that had Hansen's. I haven't run across that at all. These were the Tibetans that were working with me that were helping the the, the Indians, Indian right? Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And and that's actually a very good point. And thank you for clarifying mm-hmm. that. Um, because in India, there's still a, a very large um, transmission that that does happen. I just assumed. When we were talking mm-hmm. about TB's big or has been big in the Tibet in Tibet, in. so the reason why for that I'll tell you that is because it's it's um, TB is respiratory, and and people you know and and especially when it's cold uh, mm-hmm. in Tibet and and I was fortunate to have five days in Tibet um, that people stay indoors and then when you stay indoors when you cluster indoors. You, that's exactly right. Yep. There's a higher likelihood of respiratory uh, illnesses uh, happening. And it's not unlike what we're seeing with coronavirus uh, right now uh, in Wuhan, uh, China as well, uh, you know, with the winter that's being spent there and then all the time that's in, in the hospitals. And uh, uh, just by coincidence here, I just looked up on the computer and playing in the background. We can't hear it, but if the, um, is the Lost Bayou Ramblers. Oh, is the nice, song yeah. just completely <laughs> so? So why don't we uh, segue real quickly uh, to you, Ava, and talk a bit about Apocalypse Ball now that in the back. Here, in fact, you know what? I'm going to just hear you guys. There's a... Uh, Nice, we're rocking. <laughs> yeah, this is completely by coincidence. Tell Louie that you guys were here. Uh, um, he's, uh, he's he is really one of, one of my favorite people. Oh, that's awesome! So, yeah, we're super excited to have him um, back at the ball. How, how many years did he play in the past? When we first started, uh, Lost by You Ramblers were one of our main bands. They probably played ten out of our twenty years. No kidding, really. Yeah. <laughs> so they were a staple of the mm-hmm. Apocalypse Ball. So huh? they're really happy about coming back for our twenty year anniversary. Yeah, that's Great. This year, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're also going to have Ashley Beach and Ashley's different animal playing. Um, we've got a, so we've got a few different uh, musical acts that are performing. Um, we've got different stations. This year's theme is Fortuna's Wheel, Turn On, Spin Out. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities to interact with Lady Fortune um, and uh, and place your place your hands into. Or place your fate into her hands. Um, but yeah, we've got forestry. There's a Buddha lounge. And we've got someone who does like a psychedelic light show. There's many different areas of the party, um, and each one, uh, you know, gives you kind of a different a different vibe for a different person. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. Um, we're actually sold out this yeah, year. In the last couple of years, I know. That's usually, amazing. we like to set this up to be an opportunity to promote and right. invite people. When you to, when you come to me, it's usually but, uh, like it's like two yeah. months in advance, and I put it on the books, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, by the time you get to us, you're totally sold out. Yeah, yeah, but that's nice because once you know you've got all the tickets out and you've got all the other administrative pieces uh, in place, you know, that's uh, it's nice to just kind of focus on what talking to people about what the party is actually about, that it's, you know, yeah, there's all these crazy stages and beautiful people and amazing drinks and, you know, it's a great time, but um, what's behind it all and what often kind of gets lost in the shuffle is that this is like really um, a mission-based or mission-based project. Um, We've got a lot of crew members who 
dedicate a lot of time, and it's all to help provide clean drinking water to the Tibetans. Um, that, you know, one of the things that's been nice about Louisiana Himalaya Association, its relationship with the Tibetans and Law Charitable Trust, um, and started happening early on, is that we actually have Tibetan teachers that are able to come here, and there's um, a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities for people in New Orleans to connect with Tibetan the Tibetan teachings and the Tibetans mm-hmm. that are coming. Um, so Neil, can you talk a little bit about when Seringla started coming and when mm-hmm. um, some of the teachers started coming well, over? We've, we've had our, the LHA Community Center on Rendon Street, um, six two three North Rendon Street, since two thousand and four. And I think as soon as we built that, uh, Tibetan teachers, we started hosting there um, and must be now, I guess, close to 20 teachers. Uh, the week after Mardi Gras, Lama Lena is coming, who's an American woman that spent about 30 years in the hermitage uh, studying with some of the greatest masters of India. Um, we have uh, Venerable Sering Punsok. He's kind of um, a monk that works with us with these volunteer groups that we've been bringing to India for more for I guess almost 20 years now also um, uh, I don't know what else to say about well, that w- what, what is a hermitage? Uh, you you said that there was a hermitage yeah. for 30 years what is that? Is that what it sounds like? Pretty much yeah we uh, one of the places that we do volunteer work and that we bring the volunteers and the groups that come with us is called Sopema or Lotus Lake and it's a place very sacred for Tibetans. It's where uh, Padmasambhava, our guru Rinpoche, the founder of Buddhism in Tibet, um, or the person who was able to get it established there, spent a lot of time in a cave, in a retreat cave. So now there's lots of monks and yogis and yoginis that have spent their lives up there doing spiritual practice. And um, Lama Wangdo Rinpoche, who just passed away, um, was one of the first to come there back in the late 50s. And um, Lama Lena, when she was in her early 20s, went there seeking a guru and found one, and she stayed there with him for about 30 years. Wow. And so she's just an incredible American woman, fully, fully versed in Surely. Tibetan Buddhist. And what's the yogini? A twist. Uh, female yogi. Okay. Yeah, women so and a, men. In the Tibetan of, system, they call them nakpas and nakmas. So the uh, woman and the man. Uh, nakpa a, is a male? A nak, nakpa would be a man and a nakma is a woman. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's easy for you to remember. Pa and ma are, is, uh, <laughs> is easy for me to remember that. Nakpa and nakma. Nakpa and nakma, yeah. Kind of, is that, and is that also like a salute? Like you would see so like a kind of like when I was in, I did, you know, four years of public health service when I finished my residency in medicine on the Navajo reservation. So whenever you meet a Navajo elderly, you'd refer to them as Shema or Sheche, grandmother, or grandfather. Mm-hmm. Is that the same way you would refer to Nakpa or Nakma? Is it Nakpa, is it a title or a designation? Or? Uh, it's, a, it's a title. So anybody can take, oh, take on that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you could be a monk or a nun. A Nakpa and a Nakma would be a monk. Similar, similar duties, but they don't have the specific vowels of celibacy or no drinking alcohol or um so in, in the tibetan culture there's there's also vows of celibacy as well oh sure the monks and the nuns which is was a third of their population before china right well, that's when you mentioned that there was mm-hmm. very little population at so, the right. time because so there was no population no reproduction problems. that was happening 
or not thirty percent was right. Yeah, so every family would have a monk or a nun Got in it. the monastery, and that would be the person in the family that's educated and taking care of the spiritual needs of the family. Got it. Um, would you be able to talk to us a little bit, maybe kind of help the listeners of WHIV because I'm sure that they'd be really interested in maybe doing like a quick, you know. Um, understanding of of Buddhism and helping us understand Buddhist Buddhist philosophy, and I know this is like <laughs> <laughs> I am not a Buddhist teacher. Okay, and, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess the biggest thing to understand about Buddhism is that it's so 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 broad. And one of the really early teachings in Buddhism was that there's minimum 80,000 different personality types and there's no way that there's one way there's tons and tons of different ways and uh so within buddhism there's all these some are even contradictory but there's all these different passages and paths but they all come back to this point of moving away from ignorance and moving more towards wisdom and skillful means, which means moving more to a place where you avoid suffering or you suffer less and you cause less suffering on others. So everything within the path is geared in that direction. Ignorance would be the state of mind that causes you to make mistakes because if you're, if the more enlightened you are, the less you're going to do things that cause yourself to suffer or cause others to suffer. So all these passages are led in that way. Um, you know, it's, I'm not sure where you want me to go. No, with no, this. no. <laughs> I mean, like, is, I, I, mean, I just, I love you. I mean, both Eve and I are just sitting here watching you talk. So yeah. we love just listening to I you. Guess, so. I guess I'll start with one thing. I guess that the Dalai Lama, or I'll, I'll, I'll just stay one thing. Every time I hear the Dalai Lama teach, which has been many times over the last 22 years, he starts off his lecture with, he looks around and he says, wow, all my Hindu brothers and sisters are here, and my Christian brothers and sisters here, and my Islam brothers and sisters are here. Everybody's here. It's so beautiful. And there's usually a thousand people sitting in the audience. And he said, y'all all have such wonderful spiritual traditions Please stick with them because they have everything that you need to reach this state of wisdom and this state of non-suffering and this state of compassion and generosity and patience and kindness. He says, when you listen to me today, don't worry about the religious stuff about Buddhism, but think about the science of Buddhism because a big chunk of Buddhism is science. It's mind science. They spent all these years figuring out how to deal with emotions and uncomfortable emotions and how to be peaceful and kind and blissful. Um, so he's like, listen to that stuff and then apply that to your own tradition and then it would work for you. Um, I was like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> I, I think, you know, for me when I was uh, just, you know, I grew up in a very, very religious very dogmatic Jewish household. And, you know, when I was like 13 or 14, became an atheist. And I realized I'm like, screw this. I took my first class in biology and, you know, learned about evolution. And I'm like, whoa, there's another way. It's not like <laughs> six days and the guy in the sky. Mm-hmm. And my biology teacher was like, no, 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 this is like, there's some like science and like, we can prove this. He's like, yeah. I'm like, done, you know? Mm-hmm. And so kind of when I, you know, I went to UC Santa Cruz, which is a very, in the mid eighties, was a very, 
you know, what you would refer to as a hippie. I don't mm-hmm. want to say that in a bad uh, way or anything. <clears throat> and, um, and I started to learn about Buddhism. And one of the first things I learned about Buddhism, which blew my mind for me, was because um, growing up as an American and growing up as a consumer in America, my, and my parents were, are from Morocco, right? They were both North African. So I'm son of, a, of immigrant, two immigrant parents who came to America and really wanted to by literally buy into the mm-hmm. American way. Um, and um, so consumerism was such a part of that. And the idea of wanting less, right, or of not wanting, or, or in a, and maybe you can put it in better words than, than I can, um, the idea of, of trying to turn off this, you know, of, of wanting this, that, or whatever, you know, and it, it's for me at least started this path of just kind of trying to live as a minimalist life as possible yeah. mm-hmm. to live as simply as possible. And it took a long time to, to unwire what I had been strongly wired, you know, believing and, 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 and largely I think that there was, um, a, you know, a path for me, um, toward kind of seeking justice for all and, and a certain sense of, of equity uh, for all as well. And I, I'm not a Buddhist at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I wish I was. And I wish I had the, the temperament and the uh, dedication because I certainly see my brother, my Buddhist brothers and sisters, and I, and I just see a beautiful sense of peace, sort of like what I see certainly with you. Um, but, uh, um, but certainly those lessons were very valuable for me. And, and even before we flipped on the mic, I was just saying, Visiting Buddhist countries are the visit. There are always the highlights of my of the work that I do internationally and I do abroad. I tend to kind of lean toward my give me the give me the job in Burma, you know, give me <laughs> give me the job in Cambodia, give, give me the job in Nepal, you know. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I it, it was that sense of of wanting less or not wanting at all, and and how that was such a such an profoundly old idea right i mean it's an ancient idea right but it's so profound for you know a young kid growing up in america because we are so indoctrinated with consumerism so i don't know if there's something there for you to maybe talk about just one thing before i forget i'm watching a great netflix series just called the buddha right now so anybody interested in knowing the history about it in a fun kind of hollywoody way or actually it's uh, it's in hindi with english subtitles so it's probably made in india but it's just called the buddha on netflix there's another great one that i just finished it's called ram dev the untold story and he's not coming from a buddhist tradition but it's all really really similar stuff and he's in my opinion the top uh, most well-known indian yogi now he's still here in our time and the dalai lama's Met him a few times, and he tells the Tibetan people to listen to Ramdev and do Ramdev's yoga practices. So it's Ramdev, the untold story. Beautiful Netflix series, about forty episodes. It's wonderful. Forty wonderful. episodes. Wow, it's a yeah. whole bunch. Thirty, forty, wow, thirty-three, yeah. something like that. Awesome. Those okay. are two great Ramdev and the Buddha into. that are both uh, on Netflix. Yeah. So those are two great ways to, if you're interested in wanting uh-huh. to know more about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, Ava, what, what, what has been your path uh, uh, with, with this? Um, well, I kind of it had got involved uh, randomly. I was working, when I moved to New Orleans 10 years ago, I spent five years working um, on a, for a program that was called the Ferret Neighborhood Center. It was a program of neighborhood housing services. And the Neighborhood Center opened up in 2007. Um, and it was an amazing learning experience. It was a little double shotgun house that had... Um, 
programs that were created by neighbors um, who were kind of trying to rebuild their neighborhood, reconnect with their neighbors. Um, following Hurricane Katrina, um, we had an after-school program, a seniors program, and that really was a great introduction to New Orleans, but also just like opening up my opening up to experiences of compassion with people, uh, but also like a lot of people who are working in nonprofits at that time, uh, 2012, 2013. You saw a lot of funds leaving the city, and it got the nonprofit jobs became more and more difficult. Um, there was just so much burnout, and I experienced that as well. And so um, in 2014, I left that job, and it was just I had made the mental decision that I'm gonna that I'm going to move on, um, kind of going to resign. And that next day I got an email from someone completely randomly saying, I know some women who are starting this sto- this little shop called Tibetan House. I think it would be a really calm and, like, fun environment to be in, to transition. I hadn't even told anybody that I was planning on, um, on leaving. But, uh, yeah, so I got that job. And that was um, two women, Gail Thompson and Diana Fisher, who – started working together on His Holiness's visit in 2013. They were on the the organizing committee, and they enjoyed the energy that was created in the city at that time so much that they opened up this space to help be one of the organizations in town that could help leave, keep that link to the Tibetan communities alive. Um, so I worked there for five years. We have a meditation center. We help to host the teachers and the Drepungomang monks who come to town for the Sacred Arts Tour. They're actually coming back. Um, in, March 10th, they'll be back for about four days and doing a sand mandala here in New Orleans. Um, but, you know, that was a life-changing experience. And then one year, um, we had a gift shop and we had the meditation center. And for the gift shop, I got to go on a trip to northern India with Gail um, and to Nepal. And that was my first time to be there and connect with La Charitable Trust and Neil on that side of the world. And, you know, I just it was an experience and a job that has just, like, really changed my life. And so when um, we held LHA, organized a major fundraiser in 2015 as a response um, to the Nepal earthquakes that happened. And if you remember back in 2015, it was the 10-year anniversary from Hurricane Katrina. This devastated, these de- massive earthquakes happened in Nepal, and Nepal had donated, which is a small and, um, and you know not a wealthy country. <coughs> they had donated fifty thousand dollars to New Orleans to rebuild after the storm, and so the LHA community came together and said, "We're going to raise at least fifty thousand dollars to send to of our course. brothers and sisters in Nepal." And so that was the first event that I got to come into, and those were folks who had been involved in LHA for a long time. I got to get connected with the the apocalypse crew at that time and just and that was an amazing night john calhoun was the live auctioneer we raised sure john's over. got a show here on whiv yeah nice on nice, thursdays nice. at 1 yeah, p.m nice nice and it was like that room was just electric sure um and i was like all right i'm in whatever i can do i noticed how it you know it was just an energizing group of people to be around and to be connecting with the tibetan buddhist um teachings in the way that i was i just wanted to I see this as a real great privilege to be involved in this organization and to learn from people like Neil um, and the teachers that come and just all of the the heavy hitters um, who are a part of the LHA and the Apocalypse crew. So that's kind of how I got involved. I took a been doing the ball for like the last five years, and that's a very different project. It is. Um, 
And I think what I love about it is if you talk to people who've been to an apocalypse ball or maybe they've been to all of the apocalypse balls and they have like, you know, most of the time it's like, oh, I love that party. That party is crazy. Um, but you find people who met their future spouse. Sure. You know, they met someone, they were all involved in the organizing, they met someone and then they ended up having a child together. You know, these kind of, there's, Michael Smith and Suchin, like, were, mm-hmm. I think, undergraduates when they came. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Suchin's gone on to become a physician. He leads the medical – he's the medical, medical advisor for, for the Tulane medical yeah. trip that we do there. And Michael Smith on our board. Yeah. was on the board, mm-hmm. and he helps to lead the classes, the trip classes that um, – I think Loyola? Loyola and Tulane the, classes. Yeah, so. the undergrad. Mm-hmm. So it's just amazing to see that even through just this one – Mardi Gras ball, all the people that are in that space are there because they're pretty much connected to the LHA or the people involved in the LHA in some way. And so it's just cool to all be in the same place at the yeah, same time. Beautiful so. family community sure. project. Mm-hmm. Sure. And let me do a quick station ID. If you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV LP. This is Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allendary. And uh, with me today are two individuals from the Louisiana Himalayan Association. We've got one of the founders, uh, Mr. Neil Goodry, as well as Eva Soul, who you just heard talk and is just an amazing organizer who's been promo- uh, promoting the Apocalypse Ball. It is sold out at this point. So if you don't have tickets, wah, wah, wah on Catch you. Catch us next year. That's don't right. There's always enough. next year. <laughs> you can get more information about them at LHA info.org and again the apocalypse ball is sponsored by the crew of the apocalypse ball and they are raising money for the LHA Clean Water Project with proceeds uh, providing clean drinking water to over 10,000 Tibetan refugees in northern uh, India. So so one of the questions that I am a little embarrassed to ask is because I'm so naive and I just feel like, you know, you've got on one hand, you know, last year there was Dr. Marx and of course, you know, you've got Neil Goodry here and everybody's this very kind of very peaceful and Buddhist, and I was going to use the word Zen. I don't even know if that's the right word to use there or not. I'm embarrassed. Um, but then the apocalypse falls this over the top crazy kind of <laughs> like, and so it, is there's a kind of a, is this my brain of, is there like some sort of weird? We call it Cajun Buddhism. <laughs> 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 Got it. All right. That, that makes, which is why, obviously, the last Bayou Ramblers were there for the first couple of years, right? About 10 years. Yeah, everybody's got a wild side. It comes yeah, out the it comes out at the pockets ball. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess it's sold out, so we don't need to talk any more about like it. Like, um, I'd like to maybe mention some of the other fundraisers. Please, I would love, doing. and I would also love to hear more about some of the projects you guys are doing sure, as yeah, well. We can, you know, some of the more, yeah, talk to us about the water that. project. Yeah. So, this uh, water project that uh, Eva's uh, leading, the Apocalypse Crew, which is an incredible family group of people that have been working together for a long time. And, uh, that um, that project started about four years ago. Um, we bring groups of volunteers to India every year, and it seems like each group comes together with some idea for some project and raises funds to do that. But about four years ago, we had um, two water specialists, one person working for the uh, New Orleans Water Center, and another was the head of water and sanitation for Santa Barbara, California, and a grad student. And they were looking at the water problem there. The kids in the schools were having a lot of difficulties from dysentery and other problems, and the monks and the nuns in the monasteries. But the infrastructure was a multi-million dollar situation. So 
they came up with the idea to do water filtration systems at the schools in the monasteries, and it's 3000 bucks. You can put in a system that gives clean water to five, 600 people and their families, and uh, we've done 27 of those now. Wow. And how long do those filtration like, – what is the basis of the filtration system? Is it something that's still something that's indigenous to that part of the world, or is it – No, no. You know, we have we – have, if you're asking where they come from. Sure. The system – we have somebody in Delhi in the hub uh, that we're closest to, a company that builds them and makes them. And So these are okay, um, got it. Yeah, we, we set them up, and – the money that we have to maintain them every year, so sure. new filters and maintenance and repairs, and that's the money from the apocalypse ball. Got it's it. about five or six thousand dollars a year we need to come up with to do that. So, the funds when people buy a drink at the apocalypse ball, they're supplying clean water for somebody <laughs> right. in India. It's beautiful. Sure. It's in, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh-huh. I, w- I was thinking the other day about trying to think about how much water I drink in a day. I was like, oh, I'm trying to get better about it. But then I was thinking about how much water I drink in a year or how much water you're supposed to drink in a year. Sure. And then multiply that by 10,000. Yeah. And that's what we're raising money for, for the apocalypse. Yeah, that's ball, amazing. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. And then, Millions of gallons of water are being filtered through your filtration systems. Right. And therefore, you're saving literally millions of lives. And we've done a lot of studies after the project started to check the, the attendance rate in the schools, the grades of the kids in the schools, and, you know, much better attendance rates, much better grades because the kids aren't sick. Right, yeah. They're, you know, it's a beautiful, they're, they're, beautiful. Yeah, of course. They're at yeah. school. They're able to be at school and they're able to yeah. learn instead of being at home with dysentery or cholera or typhoid or whatever. Yeah. So that's that's one project um, if we're talking about the medical thing. So now we also we have a group uh, from Oshner that's been coming about four years, and we have uh, – uh, Dr. Blaze, the head of uh, infectious disease. Yeah, he's Dr. one of my colleagues. He's an infectious disease doctor. Dr. Uh-huh. Nusduff in uh, ophthalmology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, quite a few doctors every year. Sure. But Dr. Blaze and Dr. Nusduff are the ones that have been three years in a row now. Um, and we, we have a group, and that's the MD group. We have a group specifically just for nurses that come to do, and we still have some room on that group this year. Uh, if you're a nurse and want to come to India with us, you can contact Evil. What, set you up. What do the What do the doctors do when they go? Um, this year, we actually built a medical <coughs> clinic, and we're training two monks to be medical monks, and that's one of the things. Um, we also have an eye care program where we provide free eyeglasses, and one of the fundraisers that we do is called the Vision Fest. It's also at our center here, um, and that's on April fourth, and that's put. Um, Ashley Beach is the event coordinator for that one. That's a instead of a nighttime crazy party event, that's a all day healing arts event. So that one starts. I think early I remember. Yeah, I think I remember. Definitely have yeah. Ashley come in, mm-hmm. and we'll promote the event yeah, uh, before definitely. that happens. Yeah, 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 it's an amazing event. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I remember something like that from last year. I think Yoga, I remember helping promote that. Yeah, contact dance, just a whole bunch of beautiful stuff during the day. Very healthy. We have acupuncturists there. We have a really. Um, Yin Yang of the Apocalypse Ball. Sure, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. The other side of the rainbow. Right, yeah. <laughs> then we have a de- dental program where we provide free dental care. Um, and that was uh, uh, started up by Frances Farr. She was in Loyola at the time. And she had a mutual learning partner, somebody she was teaching, could see there were some dental issues going on. 
and got the young Tibetan woman to the dentist and came up with this idea, why don't we start something to really help them on this? In 2011, so since then we've been doing free dental care uh, projects, and we raise money for that with the Joie des Dents festival, which we do. And is, is, is that the Joy of Teeth? Joy of Teeth festival, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now we, we're starting a community center in Lafayette, which is right near downtown. So on the Saturday during International Fest, we have sort of a camping and uh, festival and money we raise from that oh, festival. Oh, cool. The yeah, that's amazing. The dental, the vision, the medical program. Um, we just put solar. We... we um, I guess it was 2007 we raised money here in New Orleans and we bought a four-story building to donate to the sister organization there by the Tibetans. Um, and that's where all of our groups stay and okay. eat. Right. And we have a Tulane student, Anup Jane, who raised about $40,000 back some years ago to develop and build a soup kitchen in that building. So the ground floor of that building, the soup kitchen opened in 2012 on the Dalai Lama's birthday. So every day we feed about 70 free lunches uh, to needy Tibetans. Sure. Good, clean food. Yeah, clean, healthy. You know, it's really amazing uh, sure. food that comes through there. And we have an organization that sponsors from Switzerland, actually some volunteers that came, and they sponsor the funds for that food every year. That's amazing. It's really beautiful. Um, our language school continues. We have sure. English language. Now we teach in English language, Tibetan language, Chinese language, um, Spanish, French, German, French, Spanish. German. <laughs> so a it's lot a real, of the uh, global, ref- yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. hundreds and, of volunteers and from it's all over the world. It's not just open year. for uh, the Tibetans. It's any um, Himalayan peoples that want to come and get these services free sure. of charge. Sure. Um, so that's that's a number of the programs. We just had another uh, group that had some solar people, and they got raised the funds, and now our building is the first building that's a hundred percent. Solar, amazing. Solar off the grid. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I when you know, I spent a couple of days in, in Lhasa and, and some of the places around in Tibet, and the solar that was around there was really amazing. And then it occurred to me, oh wait a second, I'm in China, and all these solar panels are being built, obviously in China. But I was really still stunned about all this. I mean, how much more advanced? I came back to the U.S. Like everything had solar everywhere. Mm-hmm. Even the uh, the 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 temples and stuff had these like. These silver cones that were meant to generate, you know, uh, you know, they would put like teapots and stuff on there, and, and you're only seventeen thousand feet, you know, and but it's amazing. You would think, you know, us being at at uh, sea level, below sea level, and my people are desert people as well from North Africa, mm-hmm. so I was sucking wind for the first four or five <laughs> days, right? Um, but just that small distance made such a huge difference in how quickly the water boiled and and, and stuff like that. Just mm-hmm. the, the physics of that were pretty remarkable. Can I bring one thing up before we sure. run out of time? Yeah, here? and I was going to have Eva really just important. talk a bit about some of her work that she does as well. Okay, just very quickly. Um, one of the things, so we have on the Tibetan side of things, there's 15 full-time employees. And we, besides the building that we donated to them, they rent a social service facility where all these things go on. But the way that the salaries are paid and the bulk of their funding is through groups that Eva and I work to bring to India sure. every year. So sure. as far as advertising anything, that's what would be what we're advertising sure. today. Sure. We have an undergrad group from Loyola, uh, an undergrad group from Tulane, 
um, Tulane Medical School. All three of these are full now. Sure. Um, we have a group for nurses. Uh, we still have some openings left in that. Um, we have the Oshnard MD group, but that's every other year, so that's not happening this sure, year. Sure. We have another group that focuses on Buddhism and mindfulness, and we have another group with Michelle Baker out of Swan River Yoga. It's going to sure. be their first year this year. So if anybody's wanting information on coming to India and doing volunteer work with us, and these groups are all two weeks long, um, you can contact Eva or I, and we can give you information. Yeah, the, on the that. website again is lhainfo.org. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to create a radio station there, uh, let me know. <laughs> let me, uh, Eva, really quickly, the you know I'm a huge fan of your work. Can you kind of plug some of the work that you do personally as well? Um, yeah, well, I imagine you're probably talking about Lapet, our the Burmese food pop up that my partner Mark Lemaire um, started, um, which was it's been around for about five years. Uh, we do Burmese food like once a month, kind of a a, a pop-up brunch um, but that happened because we'd been traveling to Thailand um, and the border between Thailand and Myanmar for about five years um, as a part of a project and organization called One World Family that Mark also started um, back in 2010 that provides um, education op- educational opportunities to hill tribe uh, refugees that are um, living in northern rural Thailand but their families have come over from Myanmar because they were um, persecuted by the military government there. And so for about 10 years, we've been working with four different villages and sending, we have a bus driver that goes to these villages and picks up the kids and then takes them to and from school, elementary and middle school every day. So it's really the first edu- first generation of, of children that are getting access to formal education. Um, and then we have a couple scholarships that we've gone on to do um, when we saw the need. Uh, so we have a high sc- some high school students and then we have one college student who's been with us since she was in eighth grade and we were there at the school on a visit and teachers were telling us about the how all the students were doing and then they asked if we um, ever sponsored kids to go on to high school and we hadn't um, but they brought in her name is Matu Rowe and she was the top of her class like sort of a servant leader kind of person um, and she went on to high school number one in her class keeps going back to her um, come, goes always goes back to the elementary school and helps out and now she's finishing up university over in Chiang Mai and congratulations um, to be a teacher and yeah, and, so. and and the Lafette the Lafette the Lafette uh, uh-huh. La uh, is a pop-up and then it's a social entrepreneurship so yeah, money so, that's generated okay. mm-hmm, is yeah. is goes into making sure that these young people go to school and uh, and I'm sure I don't know if I've told you this or not but you know I did um, uh, four months as part of my graduate uh, degree was to do work with the Pokerin. Um, nice. and, and so I am very familiar with that, that part of the, the, the world. Uh, Neil yeah. Goodry, uh, Eva Soul, thank you so much. Uh, uh, Neil Goodry is one of the founders of the Louisiana Himalayan Association. Eva Soul is the event coordinator and planner for the Apocalypse Ball. If you didn't get your tickets, shame on you. But it, and if you did, make sure you come in costume because it's full costumes are mandatory and we have costume police that will stop you at the door so that's why my face is kind of green right now because I was practicing (laughs) on Friday it's going to be kind of crazy but uh, yeah make sure to wear your costume thank you so much (laughs) the great uh, Mark Parody coming up next with Mega Music Monday thank you guys so much okay bye bye